I need to be introduced because I hardly know anyone here. <laughs> You're all strangers to me. <laughs> okay, so first of all, this is, this is our Father's Day celebration. I just want to say all our thanks and gratitude to God, who is the perfect father. He is the perfect model of what a father was meant to be. And, um, and a blessing as well to all the fathers who are here. Those who have, are not here, those who have gone before us, those that we remember and we carry in our hearts, we bless them as well. I, um, I've entitled this message, I don't know if you saw this on uh, Facebook or not, uh, this, I entitled this, I've had like 10 different titles. I'm not smart as Carla, I can't come up with clever things. But the mind says, Father, just a male parent? Because I, there, I thought it, was, it said something in that. I think fathers are more than just a partner in creating a child. Any healthy man can father a child, but not just any man can be a father. There's some things that have to take place transformationally in a man before he can become a father. I mean, the kind that we want to be. Most fathers' days are usually about testimonies and warm and fuzzies and nice things that we say about people, and then when they're done, we forget all that stuff. And so tonight, I'm going to do something different. And um, since this message is for dads and about dads, I'd like to address it from a father's perspective and tell you a little about from, from my perspective. And to my point, you know, I've been working with men for years in various ministries, and um, I found that we all deal with the, the daunting challenge of becoming something more than we are. And you stop me if you think I'm just talking about myself and you, everybody, all the rest of you are okay, okay. <laughs> but I think this is common among most of the men that I've done ministry with. We're all, um, we all wish we were more than we are. And we're pretty much upset that we're not. <laughs> In spite of what you might tell us this weekend, most of us are painfully aware of who we're not. We may not share that with you, and in secret, we may not, it may simply we hold in our hearts where we're not real pleased with what the job we've done as fathers for the most part. And we wish we would have done it better. Am I close? And it's not, in fact, it's like what most many women may feel. I don't want to speak for women, but what many women may feel when they read about the mythical Proverbs 31 woman who does everything perfectly. I'm like, where did he get that model? <laughs> he was married to a thousand women. Maybe he just did an amalgam of what women, you know, whatever. I don't know, but I can't imagine anyone pulling all that off. S but comparisons cripple us, don't they? I don't think it's ever a good idea to compare ourselves to other people like we were doing with Emma. She's who she is, and you're who you are. And I don't think you can ever be who she is, nor should you be. And so I just think that's not a good idea. Um, and it's the same with fathers who look back at their lives and begin their sentences with the words, if only. And this is what I hear. But I'm on this healing side of ministering, so I, these are the kind of messages I hear when I deal with men. And so let me give an example. Once when I was working with a, a men's group, many of whom were fathers, I might add, I gave them an assignment to write a letter, letters, plural, probably, to certain people that they had through the course of rela many relationships, people they had injured or hurt. 
and it was a healing exercise in trying to make things right in their relationships. And the process went like this. First, they were to identify from their history people that they thought they might have injured or hurt in any degree. And then, uh, then they would determine exactly what they thought they might have done. And then we, they would begin to write a rough draft of what that a letter, of what that looked like and how they might admit to that person were they to encounter them. Um, how they had, been, they had been guilty of some pain and what they might have caused in that person's life and own up to it and try to come clean in regard to this is what I think I've done in your life and I am truly sorry. I am really grieved at what I may have caused you. And so this is one of the healing exercises we do in these men's groups. And then they would bring this rough draft to their accountability group and the group would work with them on polishing that up and getting it ready for the, the grand day when they would deliver it or present it or speak it or whatever they determined they would do. So in identifying the people they had hurt, these men began by asking God to help them, first of all, to prioritize their list. Of the people I've hurt, which ones should I put at the top of my list? Who is most important to deal with in this list? In, in in years of doing this with men, I want you to know consistently at the top of every single list were wives and children. Men are in touch with the things they've done to hurt people. They're not blind to that. When they get a chance to be honest and sit down with someone who's not going to scold them or criticize them or correct them or do that religious thing on them, they will be honest and say, I know what I've done. And they will admit it. And for the most part, these are not evil people. Uh, these are mostly broken human beings like you and me who've done selfish, stupid things and desperately need God's love and mercy. But there they were, and they didn't know how to find that grace and forgiveness and learn to live in it yet. And they were in an environment where we were learning to bring them through a process of transformation and they were desperately hoping they would find some relief from the pain of what they've done. So as I observed them, it became obvious that the memory work was grueling and painful for these men. It was, it was hurting them to remember these things and to go back in their memories and to recollect these things and share these things with people. It was helpful that they were in an environment where the other people were sharing them because it didn't seem like they were like the Antichrist, you know, the only person who had ever done some of these stupid things. In fact, we all had. But it was also obvious these guys were clueless as to where to start. As they pulled out their pen and paper and they set it on the table there and we all s began to write our letters, nearly every single man would develop writer's block and lock up. And so my job is to go around and to begin to try to get the juices flowing on how do you begin to draft a letter admitting your fault and put it in a way in words that you can deliver to someone that you've hurt and know that you've done what you should have done and been obedient to the Lord's instruction. So the most common questions that I got were, where do I start and what do I say? So to help them, we began with two thoughts. 
We would break down their mistakes and wrongdoings into two categories. We developed one list that admitted, this is what I did wrong. This is what I'm aware of that I know that I did that was wrong. And then we had another list admitting what they didn't do, the things they should have done that would have been the right things to do that they didn't do. So we had a list of things they did wrong, a list of things they didn't do but should have. You with me? So with the first list, man, they were knocking those things out. We had just pages of stuff that, yeah, I did this, I did this, I remember this, I did this. We could have done the whole letter just on things they did wrong. But on the omission side, the things that they wanted to be as fathers but they weren't, it was empty. And, and so these men didn't have a clue what they should have done. They just didn't know what they should have done differently. I guess you could say they didn't know what a good father looked like. They didn't know what they didn't know. Often when these men try to put their feelings of wrongdoing on paper, the guilt and the shame was so heavy they would begin to just weep. And it's an unusual thing to see a table of men, many of which are very masculine-looking guys sitting there with a paper and pencil just crying and unable to articulate what's going on in their lives, just nothing but guilt and inability to move forward with this. And that's where this process becomes so beneficial because there's coaches there to help them through the pain and the obstacles. And nearly every time one of our leaders would have to literally take them by the hand and say, here, do this next. And they would do that. Whatever we told them to do, they would do the next thing. And they would move through s steps and incremental things that would process into doing some healthy motions, forward movement. And do you know why they couldn't do this, this on this paper? There was two basic reasons. Number one, they just didn't know how to do right things. They didn't know what a good father looked like, and so they didn't know how to write down what they should have done. They didn't have a clue what that would look like, and so they couldn't say, I should have done this because they didn't know what this was. And the second thing, they didn't feel worthy or qualified to even talk about it because of their guilt. So we had two issues. One was complete ignorance, and one was an incredible guilt and shame. So what did they need? They need a Father's Day blessing from someone who believed in them. That's why we're here tonight. We've come with different language, and we... Well, you may have written cards or called someone or thought about someone or prayed for someone or whatever you did, it was intended to be words of encouragement or blessing or kind thoughts. These men needed that desperately from someone who could look at them and say, in spite of who you are and what you've done, I believe in you. Anybody else been there? See, it's not just men, is it? Because <laughs> my women's groups are doing the same thing in another room. That's why we're here tonight, to bless our fathers. What do I mean by blessing them? They needed someone to believe in them, to forgive them, and to reparent them. Now, who could do all of that? Enter Jesus, the Savior and Redeemer, of male parents who never became real fathers. We introduce these men to the person of Jesus. The coach 
who begins to show them what real fathers look like, the shepherd or the sheep. So here's my question tonight. What does it take to transform a man from a male parent into, into a father? Well, first let me describe the process real in a vague terms, and I'll kind of break it down for you. It's a man's movement into a place of responsibility in his life to become a spiritual leader in his family, all the while representing God's integrity and character in his life. And that's no big deal, is it? <laughs> in fact, it's absolutely impossible that we none of us can pull that off. We need a Savior. It becomes obvious to these men in the midst of this that what we're trying to accomplish is something they can't do. It's another thing they'll fail at. And they will absolutely come to a halt and dig in their heels. And that's where we have to kind of say, okay, now do this next thing. And we give them something they can do right now that they can succeed at. You see the parenting, the reparenting. So men don't have the ability to do this. And it becomes obvious to them after their incredible failure in life. It's probably a series and succession of failures. But men either, they never try because they're either too self-focused and don't care. And there's those, those men there. There's some men who don't care and they're so self-focused they don't care. There's some of those. But that's not the ones I deal with. Or they simply don't know how and they give up after several, several failures or they abandon the project altogether and they walk away leaving someone else to do what they were called to do and we have to call in the proxy moms to be dads. Isn't that a shame? But I'm not here to cast shame. I am here to applaud those women who do that. Boy, that's an incredible job. However, given the opportunity at, for most men at this point of failure, most desperate men will become very teachable. Bob, I'll do whatever you tell me to do. You tell me, and I'll do it. I just want to be a better person. I want to be rid of this pain, and I want to reestablish some kind of relationship with my children and my wife. What do I have to do? Well, I mean, that's a great teaching opportunity because <laughs> you have their attention, and they're with you. All you have to do is give them some steps they can move through where they will begin to succeed at small things. With me? Okay, so it's this process I want to share with you tonight. I'm going to give you some process that we go through with these men that I think is going to be helpful for you. It's going to be helpful for you if you're a parent of children, teenagers, or young adults, if you have estranged children, or if you're a child of, a, of an adult male who needs to be retrained and you need to show him the way. So let me give you some hints. I'm going to start with the, the second answer first because I want to end on, on a particular subject. First, realizing you may have done, you may not have done everything right. Can we begin with that? Can we just to say we probably haven't done everything right? If you were like me, you probably weren't. I did everything wrong. I'm not, I'm not blaming anyone else. If I had not had the exposure to the modeling I had, I probably would have reinvented it. Okay, so I'm just owning it. I did everything wrong that Janet had to parent our children, pretty much on her own. But here's where we start with these men, and that's by saying we're going to start over. 
We're going to wipe the slate clean, and today we're going to start over. We're going to start over where you are, and we're going to learn how to do this right. And we're going to begin to establish new habits and new things that are going to begin to describe a new future for you. And you'll have to practice this. And you'll have to practice this till this becomes your new normal, your new self. And you'll develop a new language, a new persona, and new habits. And if you do this, it'll go well with you. And if you don't, you'll be stuck right where you are. Is anyone in? Okay. So first, let me tell you this. Now, these things, by, by the way, that we lead them in are universal and they work for all families, regardless of their recovery issues or where they're at. And, but I'm going to share them with you all. You don't have to remember these. I'll get them for you. Most of the stuff I'm going to share with you, I've picked from different people anyway, off of different websites and different things. But they were my own ideas with better language from somebody else. First of all, for men who still have children at home, some which are small children, some which are teenagers and young adults. Age is not the issue, by the way. But uh, you need to have the guts to step into the arena and say, I'm in. And I'm not leaving this place because it's mine. And I'm the dad. And I belong here. Step one. And I'm also speaking to men whose children are grown and moved away. It's still applicable because it can be done through an intentional effort to reestablish commu reestablish communication with sons and daughters. If you want to reestablish with them, it can be done. Nothing is impossible with Jesus. Does anybody want to agree with me on that? I don't care how much damage you've done and how lousy a communicator you are, he can arrange things in people's lives that make people reconnect. Okay? But you have to do your part. If you do your part, the rest is on him. And that's a good place for you to be. Now, even if you're not, if you are, even if they are not responsive or if they have unfriended you from their lives, <laughs> there are some things you can do now. Okay, I can share those with you on a later date. Some of this will pick up. And for children of these male parents who want to learn to how to help your fathers to retrain, knowing these things I'm going to be teaching you in just a moment, just little hints. You, knowing these, you can begin to retrain your parents on how to reestablish certain values in the communication and in the relationship that will draw them in to relearn these things and have a value for things that are positive and not negative, that build relationships and don't tear them up. You with me? So um, I hear people tell me all the time, Bob, that's all well and good, but my kids are past that. There's just too much damage. There's too much water on the bridge, and I've missed the curve and the opportunity to do all those things. Um, in fact, I've blown it, and I've done it all wrong. You know, I could tell them my story, but they, they don't want to hear that. And what they're saying is, I don't think any of this is going to work. And I say, well, if you take that tact, then you might as well just sign off and quit. But if you want to give God a chance, I'm here with you and we'll work on this. But they ask me, what about people like me who don't know all these things and did them all badly and hurt their children? But let me tell you this. I was like 38 years old when I got baptized. And I remember coming out of the water thinking, well, I'm an old man now and my life has passed me by and I've done so much damage to all my family that will never be restored. I've ruined my marriage. I've ruined my children. All the disconnections are, are made. They'll never want to love me again. 
and that's all ruined. And all I have now is Jesus. And I came out of the water, and the pastor looked at me prophetically. He said, the Lord tells you today, the Lord will restore the years the locusts have eaten. I said, what? What have bugs got to do with my son? <laughs> I didn't understand all that. I was just a brand-new believer, but he knew what he was talking about. He knew that Jesus compresses time and manipulates things in such a way and touches people's hearts. I remember God speaking to me and Janet separately on, on two different occasions, telling us the same thing. We were just lamenting and grieved over what we had done that was so wrong in our parenting. And he said, these are the same exact words. He said, if you'd known then what you know now, you would have done it differently. I love you and I forgive you. Start now doing it differently. I had no idea what that meant, except that he wanted me to start today to practice something different than what I'd done before. I needed to find out what that was, didn't I? So we began to study and get counseling and go to classes and different things and find out what these new things were that were good things that we could begin to sow into these broken relationships. Our son had gotten married. His wife was down the road. She was, they were about a year and a half married, and she was pregnant with our first grandchild. And he says, hey, Dad, we're leaving town. See ya. And they moved to Kentucky. And I said, I can't believe it. Our dream was to have them here in, in Denver and to grow up and see our grandchildren live here with us and to see them all the events we were going to have on holidays and everything. And he couldn't wait to get away from us. And so I thought, well, God, here we go. It's just me and Janet. He says, no, 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 no. Don't for a minute believe that. So we had to count on what he had told us here, that, that something was going to happen. Let me give you some hints of things you can do right now okay these are not all mine some nearly all of these in fact i've gotten from other people i'm just going to embellish them with my own wisdom <laughs> such as it is but the first thing is that i really believe strongly is to speak positively to your children and into their lives you began to speak with a new language a language of positivity and hope and encouragement and we began to throw away our own language of discouragement and words that were that cripple when you say you are so smart and gifted and honest and talented, your children, whether they react to that or not, they take it in and they breathe it in and it begins to come, become part of who they are. They feed on your words. It actually releases those qualities into, their, into your, their lives. Don't call your kids names or curse them with nicknames and titles that hang on them like curses. I remember in my life uh, hearing people call them, their children things like brat or loser or things like this, and I would just cringe. I would want to correct them right there and say, do you know what you're saying and speaking to that child's life? We want to begin to change that. And if we're going to speak into their lives, what are you going to pronounce over them? What are you going to say to them that's life-giving and gives them identity and purpose? Saying things like, Johnny, you're a bad boy, teaches them that Johnny is bad, not just his behavior, that he is a bad person and his identity is bad. See what I'm saying? Never connect your child's bad behavior to their identity. Remember this, you're the most powerful person in their lives. You are. Be that as it may, no matter, regardless of your own self-worth issues, you are the most powerful person in their lives. 
what you think of them and what you say to them, they will become. Remember, they are not their behavior. Now, let me give you some points. A study of names and those names, what those names mean with positive attributes, it's good to share those with your children. Even if you didn't intend for that name to have that attribute, it's good to know that and say, your name means this, and that is your destiny. Begin to go back and build in some godly thought and worth into their names. Spiritual gifts classes. Go back and find out what these kids are for. Even at their young ages, they have some intentionality in their, in their movement, in their lives. And you begin to see things like with Emma, you can begin to see, even at her early age, she was moving in a certain realm of faith and doing things that we could begin to see. If we'd done a spiritual gifts assessment or any kind of testing, we could have seen that. I did this with my own son. Um, there's another thing like strength finders assessments, things like this. We can begin to... What, what are some of the things that are strengths in this child that I can begin to speak to and call out? This is so strong in you. This is, this is powerful in you. Lean on that. Use that. Become that person. Begin to speak words of encouragement. You get that part? Therefore, here's the, the second one. Begin to correct attitudes before they become an action. Don't wait till behavior becomes rotten before you deal with it. Begin to spot attitudes because attitudes are the result of wrong thinking. You can't see the wrong thinking, but you can begin to see the attitudes because they give off a certain smell, don't they? Those attitudes lead directly to behavior. So thinking produces attitudes. Attitudes produce behavior. If you can address the attitude, and I don't mean correction by, by in harshness. I mean, let's rethink what you're going through right now and tell me how you got there. Let's talk about what's going on in your life and sit down and have some good dialogue. That's the kind of correction I'm talking about. Rethinking and correcting attitudes breaks the curse of wrong behavior, which leads us to our next thought, which is the third thought. Teach your kids how to think by giving them choices. Instead of telling children what to do and parenting them until they're 21 and being directive, begin to ask them, what choices they would rather make. For instance, if there's a child in the room and they're loud and they're, they're playing and, and they're, you want them out of that room, instead of demanding that they leave and being angry about it, ask them, would you, um, do you want to play in your room or would you rather play outside? So it gives them two choices. They can begin to make choices and they're both choices you can live with and both of them give you the solution that you were looking for. So we have to be more creative. It takes more time, but it gives the child a sense of having made a choice, being powerful, growing into that power, and at the same time, you're getting some uh, solutions to some of the conflictual problems. Both are good choices you can live with. Get it? The, the next issue here, a point I want to make, is be the first one to inform your kids about any important subject. Let me explain that. Hands-off parenting is no parenting at all. That allows the world to train your children, and that's the worst option. For example, let me give you a principle. This is, I know Chris Valentin is one of his posts, but it said, the principle of first mention. I didn't even know there was such a thing. But the principle of first mention says this. That the first time we hear something about any subject, we receive it as truth because it's the first mention. 
So when we first hear something, we believe it to be true. And anything we receive after that, we challenge because we've already believed something else. So it's important that your children hear about the important issues in life from you first. Then they have your values in those statements. And anything that comes after that gets challenged. You with me? Let me give an example. For example, if you wait until your kids are like 15 years old to talk to them about sex, guess what? Somebody else has already taught them about sex. It's either another kid in the, in the classroom or it's the Internet. And both need to be monitored, by the way. If what you shared was opposite of their friend's counsel, they're likely to reject your counsel. If they've received something else they've already believed in the first mention is true. Does that make sense? Do this? Okay, all right. Another thing is, and we, <laughs> we used this language the other day, and I, I don't, I'm not trying to pick on anyone, but don't be a helicopter mom or dad. I didn't make this language up. But there is a fine line between correcting bad attitudes and letting a child find their way by making his own choices. Now, sometimes children will make choices that are wrong, and they'll have bad consequences. Do you know that's okay? as long as the consequences aren't life-threatening and they learn from those consequences. You with me? So let the children make choices on issues that are not threatening that they can learn from and you can also step in at a time and have some dialogue about what happened in the consequences. There is a teachable moment. How did you get there? How did that happen? Oh, you chose that. And we can talk about values and attitudes at the same time. You with me? When you see them doing something wrong and it doesn't have severe consequences, let them experiment. Even if it means an owie. At least it's not life-threatening and they're learning to make consequences when they're 30. Their choice is about consequences. They learn more from their mistakes than they do from their successes, just like you and me. Um, the next issue or point I want to talk about is teach your kids how to solve conflicts by allowing them to watch you solve yours. This only works if you solve yours in respectful and honoring ways. If you haven't quite got that worked out with your spouse, then don't do this. Is that fair? But if you've got some good tools and you're skillful and, and respectful and working through your issues with your spouse, let your children observe you working through those and they learn more from watching you than being taught verbally. They see the values being exercised. They're, they are for real. They're being practiced. You, they, they see it as a value because mom and dad actually do it. It's not something they're just sermonizing. And so don't watch, shelter them from watching you and your spouse work through the issues. They need great tools, and they learn from watching, not being instructed so much. It's, it's true. So if it's something you can do well and it's something that they can observe and learn from, let them do that. Is that scary? <laughs> Some of us get out of control, it would be. And I'm saying that's me too, okay? Another issue is let your children catch you loving on Jesus. They really learn more from observing you doing this than they do you teaching them. If they watch you and your spouse in prayer at night or doing a Bible study or reading through your Bible or any of these things that is loving and connecting with the presence of God, 
they learn from observing that more than they would if you sat down and gave them some instruction on why they should do that. Does that make sense? All right. Here's the, the same thing. Go back to what we were talking about a while ago. Don't compare your children one to another. People are totally unique. Not one person was meant to be like the other. If you do teach, if you do compare children, you will teach them to live a competitive life, and that is a horrible place to live. They constantly, they'll be measuring themselves against uh, each other and others as they grow up and other businesses and successes and people. And the goal is for each child to be fully actualized in who they are. And who they are is who you've taught them that they are. And that'll be a person who is fully identified with who God intended them to be because you've helped them to find that person. And that's who they'll pursue and acknowledge and embrace and enjoy. You with me? Call that person out. Now I saved, I went through all those notes, there was tons more, but I pulled those out because they were salient. I thought they were the, the best ones I looked at. The second point that we make with some of these men in our groups, I've saved for last because I want to close with this thought. The most important element of becoming a father rather than a male parent is to actually be adopted into God's family. Uh, when God becomes our father, we begin the reparenting process that literally changes our lives. We're, nobody, I don't, I don't think I ever remember anyone telling me that God would reparent me. Uh, they just didn't use that kind of language back in those days. I understood d discipleship, and, and, but that all sounded like he'd want me to go to work for him. He was going to be a great employer. You know, he's going to put me to work, and I better do a good job or else. And it, I mean, well, I never got the father message too good for a long time. But this is about the father reparenting me. He's going to show me what a good father looks like through our interaction, through him loving me, correcting me, leading me, letting me make my poor choices that lead to consequences that orders flame outs and he comes and pats me on the butt and brings me over and, pat and puts me on his lap just like he do we do with our children if we did it right these hints I just gave you God does that in spades he is the perfect father and when we learn that these things are from his nature and from his heart then we learn that the, the most important element in becoming a father is to actually be adopted in his family and to have a new father that models this for us but here's the problem. Getting that close to God is a real problem for men. Especially men who are covered in guilt and shame. So we have to make some um, adaptations to get these men to draw them close to God so they can find out that he's loving. We come to grips with the fact that we've hurt our children by the things we've done or not done the first thing we do, need to do is to try to put our, that past in the rearview mirror because you can't move forward if, if you keep looking in the mirror. You can't drive look through the windshield. You're, you're constantly checking if there's things gaining on you, if you've got baggage, and so that needs to be put away. So how do we, we put away that old baggage? Well, there's a couple of different things. One of those is these men need to actually experience God's forgiveness. They need to experience his love and grace, don't they? And so one of the things we lead them through is actually forgiving themselves and receiving God's forgiveness. 
it's absolutely essential that people learn to receive God's forgiveness so they can put the past away and move forward into what is next today. What, is, what do I need to start today and what is for now? So when we start with these guys, we, no one ever told them, by the way, what to do or demonstrating what was right. There was no manuals or classes or Godly Parenting 101. You don't learn that in the bar. You know, that's where a lot of these people grew up in the streets, didn't we? We didn't grow up in churches, and if we did, we didn't get all this necessary, what was necessary. So I just tell people to admit your, what you're going through, where you've been, and we'll go to God, and we'll ask him to forgive us. And I take them through a template prayer where we actually move through what it means to have God forgive us. And we experience that forgiveness. And we do that as often as necessary. We teach them how to pray to God and receive his presence and his forgiveness and his grace. We get to start over by putting the past away. That's what we're going to do next. I'm going to pray for you. And we're going to pray for two, maybe three different groups of people who are here. And um, if this many thing to you, that's good. If it didn't, don't worry about it. It touched somebody else here. But there was something in this message that, that you'll be able to take away. So let me just pray this, please. Can you just be with me for a moment while I do this? So, Father, I just thank you for this message of reparenting. This applies to all of us. It's not just Dad's day, <laughs> although, boy, do we need it. You're such a perfect Father. Thank you for this day that celebrates our fathers. Now, Lord, for those of us who have not been the fathers we had hoped for and hoped to be, our prayer is this. Father, I ask for and receive your forgiveness. You guys, if you need that today, just pray that in your heart. I ask for and receive your forgiveness. I allow it to work deep into my heart, to flow through me to my family. Lord, I ask you would allow me to see that the slate is clean between you and me. And all of that stuff has been taken away by Jesus so that I may move freely into the start over time of my life with my loved ones. Help me to take these few tools that have been taught tonight and to commit them to your reparenting program with great success. Help me, Lord. Now, for those of us whose children have moved on and put us in their rearview mirror, <laughs> our prayer is this, Lord, please give me favor in restoring these relationships. Move on the hearts of these estranged children and touch them. Father, we stand ready to re-engage with new passion and the energy of your spirit. We believe you can do anything and we're ready to re-engage with these lost children. Do that for us. Thank you for the encouragement to do this all over again with hope. And for the children here, who are the offspring of male parents who are not fathers. I ask you for a gift of your patience and faith to trust you, to believe that if we see them as you do, and we pray for them and bless them with the gift of your presence, and we work in the work of your spirit, we will receive the heart to bring about what must be done. We trust you with them. We ask you to move on the hearts of these parents who didn't have a clue. We ask you for compassion to see them as you do 
And we give our hearts to you, Father, in this process. In all things, Father, we agree with you. We align our thinking and our hearts with you. And we trust that you will bring about your kingdom rule if we continue to look to you, our loving Father. We give you our lives in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thanks for your patience. God bless you all.